everybody. Welcome to another episode of All Money Podcast. This is Adam. And this is Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com. And uh, we are bringing you two new fresh episodes after our filler episode last week. Which was super fun. And yeah. uh, it, it kind of kind of uh, affected my perceptions of a couple things in these two episodes. So that was an yeah. interesting experience. Yeah, definitely uh, it highlights some fun stuff in these episodes. Uh, episode 82 starts us right back off with introducing the gentle in La Brava. Uh, th- these are some weird characters, man. Uh, I mean, they, they seem like they're just real wackadoo villains. Yeah, and they... So it's kind of gentle. I, th- I think it's La Brava is watching one of Gentle's older videos um, that she basically has been producing and uploading for him. She's kind of like his... I don't like know his what you IT would, person. I mean, yeah, but like more than that, like a videographer too, and so she does a lot. She yeah. handles all the tech. Like he can't even double click on something later on in an episode. So. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Uh, he, like he was explaining that he tried to upload a video once and nobody watched it and everybody hated him. So yeah, and so she's kind of rewatching uh, one of these, uh, like one of his first videos ever, and he name drops a couple of villains, one of whom we're familiar with, um, all for one, of course. Yeah, and then there were two older ones. They looked really neat, though. Yeah, there was a guy named Destro, who is the leader of the Metahuman Liberation Army, and then somebody that he refers to as the peerless thief, Oji Harima. Um, So who knows if that's... Surely that won't just be the extent of what we come to know or the our, our exposure to either of those names. So maybe this is just really early seed planting for something cool later on. That's what I hope anyway. I hope so too, because they look neat. And it does... It wouldn't feel like Horikoshi to mention big names like that for no reason. Yeah, or to just go through the the trouble of giving them names, you right, know, right. Um, and and unique character designs. I mean, both of these people are fairly well detailed. Um, they aren't like those filler heroes from the um, preliminary, not the preliminary exams, but the why does that term always elude the provisional? Me? Exams? The provisional exams, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, those ones that I was just like they're they're just background characters, you right, know? right. Um, so hopefully, who knows, maybe we'll get to know more about Destro and uh, OG Harima going forward. Also, isn't Destro the name of like either like a G.I. Joe bad guy or some such? Mm, there's Destro from DC. I don't know about G.I. Joe. I'm not a G.I. Joe guy, though. So, Clave, I don't think he listens to this podcast. If he did and I was wrong, he would be... Very He'd be all over me. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have enough GI. I mean, knowing is half the battle, right? Yeah. I'll just tell him <laughs> to skip this episode if he listens. I don't think he does, though. So I think we're safe. That's funny. Well, what I love about this is like once they're done watching this YouTube video, uh, LaBrava complains that the accounts keep getting taken down. So I guess they're like, I'm going to call them YouTube accounts. Someone keeps banning them. So he, they keep having to create new accounts and she's re uploading everything probably every couple days, I would assume. Uh, and then they're upset about their viewership again. You know, they're like, we, we need more views, which is just a funny problem for a villain to have. Yeah. So I got a couple of different distinct vibes from him at the beginning of this episode. And I, and I took notes as they were happening. So like right at the beginning of this scene where, where, where you're talking about, where they're talking back and forth about his accounts getting deleted and he's talking about, you know, my crimes, they're not haphazard. I was like, he's getting, he's giving me V vibes from V for Vendetta. Yeah, sort of. Um, like he kind of had that, he, I mean, he's charismatic, um, very well spoken, very sharp dressed, um, but he's, he is a criminal, but he doesn't perceive himself to be a criminal, um, which later on, like he starts talking about, not only are my crimes not random, he talks about this J convenience stores and how they were 
said they were accused of selling nearly expired fluffy pudding or some such. Yeah. And that it basically got swept up under the rug. And so I was like, well, now he, sa- he sounds like Punisher or Dexter from the aptly named show Dexter um, right. from Showtime, I think. Where he's like, I'm going to get the people who fall through justice's cracks kind of guy. Like kind of like a vigilante almost. Yeah. And uh, so it was, uh, he's an, he's an odd bird. Uh, he, he's, I definitely feel different about him now than I had in the previous exposure that we had to him. Our last episode that had to do with episodes of, um, of the actual proper show. Really? Cause I don't. Like if anything, I dislike him more. Like I, something about gentle criminal just gets on my nerves. He just feels, maybe it's unop- unopposing. Like he just doesn't feel like a villain to me. I don't. I don't. So far, I'm not. I'm not a fan of the story arc. I. I want to get back to like hero killer staying like villains, man. Yeah, and he's so strange too because he's talking here about kind of cleaning up some of the quote unquote criminal elements that manage to evade justice as he perceives justice. But then later on, and we're getting a little bit of a head here, but he he talks about doing sneaking onto UA's ground to strengthen those heroes to like have this be an inciting incident uh, that you know makes them better. So he's he's looking to be a benefit to society, but he's going about it in some strange ways. I think that's the best way that I can kind of frame him. Yeah. Um. So I'm curious to see. I mean, he's he's said himself he's he's not really the violent type he's like violent sells but that's not my style um which so i guess is why he cut out the violence of that one youtube video that he had put yeah up. yeah he's very subversive um he's very subtle but he's not he's not goalless and so um i'm curious i'm i'm he intrigues me more after these two episodes than he did in the previous um, two episodes. Yeah, we'll see where he goes with this. I, I'm interested in episode 84 for sure, uh, but we'll talk about that once we get a little bit closer to it. Uh, so let's transition back over to UA Man, where we've got all of the the Class 1A talking about how they're going to plan this big shindig, and they, they seem like they're getting pretty excited about it. Uh, but Bako, but Bakugo is overhearing some of the other classes kind of it sounds like they're kind of crapping on the idea. Like they think that class one is being selfish by even considering of doing something that they seem flashy and big, I guess. And it's interesting because it's something we haven't really thought about, I guess, or really even mentioned is the fact that even though class one, a is the focal point of the show and they're the ones that seem like they're going through all these, you know, tragic events with villains. The other classes are also going through it and we don't know or see how they're being affected like at all. So it's, it's an interesting reminder into their perspective. Right, I just have in my notes that this is this is really good representation of ripple effects mm-hmm. and of things happening in the world outside of where the show itself is focused, and we get to peek into that here. Where, you, like you said, you, some general studies folks are complaining that the hero course is too complacent, and they're like, they're the reason why we're basically on lockdown. You know, they were attacked at the USJ. They were attacked at the summer camp, and now everybody at school has these consequences slapped on them, and it's their fault. Um, so it's that's a, a cool peek into this world is alive, and here are some of the developments that you've missed because your attention has been elsewhere. You know, for us, it's been, um, you know, with the uh, assault on the Shia Hisaikai and all this other things, and these other courses and classes, the support class, general studies. Um, these these folks are. What's the other one? The businessy one. Is it just called the business? It's not. I think um, it is the business course. Is it business course. I think so. Um, they they too like they're they're back at USJ having to live in dorms, you know, all this stuff because of the hero course. So there's some resentment there, and it's well, it's 
you know, fairly earned, I suppose. Yeah, and Bakugo keys in on that, which is interesting. Yeah, I know. He takes it in kind of a weird, unexpected uh, way. I, I didn't see this coming from him. Uh, we transition into a scene where all of the kids are trying to determine what song they're going to sing, I guess, or like what kind of songs they're going to be performing. And they're talking about, you know, like, what's hip, what's new? And, and Jiro ends up saying, like, well, with everything you guys are saying, I can take elements of all of them and recommend that we do, like, an EDM with some instruments in the background. And so she starts trying to get folks to try out for the different instruments because she can play guitar, but she's still learning drums. And this is when Bakugo comes in. I think it's Kaminari, once again, who, for some reason, knows random facts about all these people from their childhood, right. where he's just like, oh, didn't you say you once played drums as a kid? It is Kaminari, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just weird that uh, I feel like he did the same thing with Jiro, which is a little bit more obvious. But with Bakugo, it's just kind of like, how did he know that? You know. Uh, but anyways, so Bakugo tries out; he's good at it. They ask him to do it, and he's like, "No, I'm not going to do something so dumb." And he he kind of goes into this whole tirade about how it's really selfish of them to want to do something basically for them, even though it's kind of perceived to be doing it for the other classes. Uh, and he he takes this in a weird way where he's like, "You know, if we're going to do it, we need to kill him. We just, we need to kill all of UA." And I with guess, our music. Yeah, so he just he wants says. to slay them with music. <laughs> and I love, there's a there's a cool, I don't remember hearing this or seeing this in the uh, in the anime, but Hagakure at some point is just like, well, his reasoning is really weird. <laughs> like yeah, he's like, yeah. his, his reasoning's a little bit off, but I'm glad he's on our side. Right. And an, another funny touch for this too is Bakugo is totally checked out on the whole playing drums thing until Sarah was like, I heard it's real tricky. And then Bakugo is just like absolutely slaying it on drums. <laughs> yeah. a, a quick cut later, he's just like, you know, yeah. it was really funny. Like he's he, got to prove it. He's, he can do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Saro knows what buttons to press on Bakugo. And I thought that that was a fun touch. That is funny. I like that quite a bit. Uh, and then we end up getting that uh, Momo is going to be playing on the synthesizer and they are going to have a couple folks that don't play instruments at all, but they're going to be dancers. And it looks like, uh, what's her name? Mina is going to be leading that up. Right. And they're going to have a whole team of special effects, too. Uh, so I, I like the initial idea, which is that Kirishima is going to chip away at Todoroki's ice while Aoyama is a flying disco ball uh, that's like reflecting the ice and the light. It's, it's, it sounds nuts. This would be an absolutely insane party. Yeah, it's definitely a very bonkers idea, but it's also really interesting combination and utilization of quirks. And it's sometimes nice to see those things utilized in non-combat scenarios. Like these kids are always thinking about, okay, this is this person's strength. Part of their strength is this thing that they can do that nobody else can do. So how do we use that to pull off this, you know, giant dance party thing? And so it was kind of neat to watch Mina pull all these things together and say, yeah. oh, well, we can we can do this and this and this. And um, it even gets further along later on when, um, you know, they set Aoyama up as a disco, a, a disco ball, which, by the way, is... Perfect casting. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and she calls him Team Snowman. Yeah. Um, which is pretty funny. And um, later on, they end up uh, reeling Midoriya in. So he's he's basically going to be like a... Um, what, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a trolley, but he's going to be like moving people, moving him around for like up in the rafters. He's just going to be like the mobile element, yeah. um, which is kind of fun. They also end up getting uh, Jiro to sing after having a couple of people try out. And the tryouts are kind of funny because I think it's Mineta that's just screaming, you know? <laughs> yeah, I I tried really hard to see if um, if the song that Kaminari was singing well, like, was... Well, if it was real. or uh, It was Kirishima, right? Yeah, Kirishima. Yeah. Yeah, I Googled it and I couldn't find it. But what's even more funny to me is in the anime, the subtitled version said 
when he was singing, he sang, man of the ship, mm-hmm. you go get that. Yeah. And then it like trails off. Um, in the in the manga, it's much more funny because it says "Brotherhood between dudes, seize it with all you've got." And I was like, "What? That's way different." Well, and, and then someone mentions like, "Hey, man, that's the wrong genre." So I wonder yeah. if he's singing some like heavy metal stuff or that's, yeah, that was pretty cool. Tell. Yeah. But it was really funny. The lyrics to that are way different than what the subtitle yeah, was, and I like I like the manga version better. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, <laughs> I also like to this scene of Jiro singing is so cool. It is and cool. Ah, it's animated th- really well too. It is, and this is the an- uh, so the the show does so much more with it than the manga does. The manga basically has this really beautiful panel of Jiro just um, obviously singing. She's like looking down, has the mic in her hands, and then there's a panel below where Kirishima and Aoyama and uh, and uh, Mineta are like. It looks like they're being blown away by a bright light. And then, and then right after that, it's just, oh, yeah, you're definitely the person that needs to be singing. But in the anime, it was really well animated, and there were, actually was singing. Um, and she had an excellent... I don't know who sang um, for her. I meant to look that up, but it, it really was a very pretty voice. Yeah, they, they did a really good job. Um, and it's a really cool effect on the students. Yeah, it's very, very cool. And I, I totally love this, just this panel of Jiro singing um, in the manga. I've been thinking about uh, taking taking a screen grab of it and using it on a phone somewhere. Oh, nice, yeah. Because, you know, she's she my favorite character. Exactly. Uh, that's a student. You know, as I was already on my phone, so maybe I'll make Jiro one of the other um, one of the other screens. I got to say, I'm really digging the uh, the panel where they've got the different folks playing guitar. So we've got Kaminari's going to play. Uh, Mineta wants to, but he can't because his character design won't allow his arms to reach. And it's that's exactly yeah. what he says, which cracked me up. Uh, but yeah, the, the one I love the I most can't reach is, the strings thanks to my design. Yeah. The one it's I love the most, meta. though, is very Tokoyami. I mean, he's just so cool looking with that guitar. Like, I could totally see him playing up there with, like, Megadeth or something, you know? Yeah, so Mineta is, is funny on two fronts because, one, he he can't, you know, like, even if you don't play guitar, there's the visual gag of him not being able to reach the strings at all. Right. Um, as he's got his arm kind of slung over the body of this guitar. Um, but if you do play guitar, you'll notice that the, his, his cording hand, the hand that would actually come in contact with this with the strings itself it can't reach any higher up the neck towards the headstock than the like the seventh or the ninth fret so he'd, <laughs> he'd be playing like everything way down um That's and it awesome. was towards the body of the guitar and i was it made me laugh because i play i play some guitar so i was i saw both hands being a, a, a comedic gag right and then so tokoyami in the in the manga or in the anime i'll say he picks it up and does this really cool sounding lick um in the manga though he it shows him picks it up and he's playing something but all you see are two automatopoeia words one is jang and the other one is krang and when i'm reading that i'm like neither of those sounds like like automatopoeia that you want coming out of a guitar they sound like you dropped an electric guitar yeah that's kind of weird well they do say in the anime that he can only play a little bit because he never learned past the f chord so, yeah. which I thought was funny. Apparently, that's when a lot of people quit playing guitar is when they have to learn the F chord. So, mm-hmm. I remember being there. Yeah, uh, I, I don't the play F the guitar. Chord. Like I play, I dabble on the bass a little bit, but it's not the same. So you know, yeah. And this this leads into a really funny uh, comedic bit with Mineta, where he's all heartbroken that uh, Tokoyami is going to play the guitar now, and he's just he doesn't feel like he has a role anymore. So he's like, can't wait till this festival's over. I hope y'all break a nail or something like yeah, this. He got dark and, real quick. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, he's like, 
hunched over in darkness and crying. And then Mina comes up to him. And he's She's like, I can cook up a part in the dance where you get a harem. And he's just like, I can't wait for the festival to start. <laughs> yeah. Like he just has that real sharp turn. And yeah. it was really funny. It's a, it's a very Minetta scene. Then we transition um, from there. Uh, now that they seem to have everybody assigned uh, onto one of the three teams, either the band itself or the stage crew or the effects crew um, and the dance squad. Uh, then it was like really late that night. So um, of course, class rep Ida's just like, all right, let's go to, let's go to bed tonight. We got a lot of work to do and we'll start with that in the morning. And we cut to a scene where Midoriya is sitting one-on-one with All Might and they're sitting kind of in an office area to start with. And Midoriya is recounting to All Might some of the concerns that he now has on this side of the fight with Chisaki. And one of the things that he really harps on is that he felt like he was kind of useless against anything that had any kind of range. Um, and so he's like, you know, I don't, uh, you know, when he, when he was doing these ranged maneuvers, I didn't really have an answer to that. You know, I had to get up close and um, he is kind of verbalizing this to All Might in the hopes that All Might might be able to speak to that and offer some direction or whatever the case may be. Um, but All Might just is like, well, then you yeah. It seems like the easy answer is that you just need to learn some long distance attacks. Yeah, that was easy, <laughs> right? It was a, he hit that that's easy button. So, um, they get right to it. Basically, all might's like, well, you need to learn how to do some long distance attacks. Go get your gym uniform. Let's go outside, and uh, we'll 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 get to work. Yeah, and then we just transition into the the wooded areas where I, we saw All Might running here a couple episodes ago. I feel like, uh, yes, yeah, I remember him running. Yeah. I don't know if it was here, but well, he has he has Midoriya go uh, full cowling to twenty percent, and it's funny because he mentions it. He's like, "All right, go full cowling." Midoriya's like, "Well, I can only do it to twenty percent, and even then, my body you know creaks and it hurts." And he's like, "I don't care. Go full cowling. Like, do what I told yeah. you to." You know, and so he tells him to do this, and then he throws a kick, and he tells him you have to make as many attacks as possible, like in this spot, in this way. And when he throws this kick, it actually does alter the wind uh, for the first time. So we know he's able to use the wind power, and All Might's kind of going into it. And he's like, "Well, in your last battle, either you fought very defensively, or you just didn't notice that you could do this." Uh, so, and we know that whenever he was fighting Chisaki, he was pretty much on the defense of the entire time until the end. So that makes sense. Yeah. And so he's, Midoriya continues to kind of whine and he's like, you know, this is great, but at 20%, my body is still not strong enough. It hasn't adjusted to this well yet. And so All Might does some perspective um, work with Midoriya and he's like, all right, listen, you have had, you know, a half dozen distinct stages in your evolution or growth with um, with this power. You know, it started off where uh, you used 100% of the power with just one body part, and he's talking about um, throwing the softball, you know, where he basically blew up his finger, kind of, um, throwing that softball. He's like, from there, you went to controlling the output in one body part, and then you went to controlling the output throughout the whole body continuously, which is where he calls full cowling now. Um, then you went to the shoot style, and then you raised the 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 floor of your power from 5% to 8%. And now um, you're going all out to draw on 20% for a limited time. And he's like, it, he he's building to make this, this revelatory point is what All Might is doing. But Midoriya, because of the way that he is and the way that he thinks he beats All Might to it and totally s- steals the wind from his sails. Because <laughs> yeah. All Might's like, which brings us to the heart of the matter in truth. And then Midoriya's like, oh, uh, you, you weren't using 100% all the time. And then he just starts muttering about all this stuff, like, oh, if he used 100% all the time, then 
he would always be producing these blasts anytime that he moved and he would have caused all this destruction, blah, blah, blah. So he's like, so I need to combine steps two and six, which are controlling the output in one body part and going all out to draw on 20% for a limited time. Um, so he's, he put that together and All Might was just like, yeah, yeah, that was it. <laughs> like he was kind of, yep. <laughs> he, he wanted to be a teacher there and Midoriya wouldn't let him. I mean, he still was, but, uh, yeah, Midoriya, but Midoriya definitely stole that like gung ho-ness out of him. Yeah. So, um, he, All Might is speaking to Midoriya and he's like, so you just need to figure out what part of your body that you have the most precision control over. And Midoriya deduces that that's his fingers. Um, and so he goes to, um, trying to figure out, you know, how, how he can use this and he turns and we've seen him do the flick before. This is, this goes back to the, the sports festival where, you know, his fight against Todoroki, where he was doing a hundred percent through that body part, right. Um, Mm -hmm. and changing his fingers and using each one twice, all that stuff. Same thing. He turns, um, and flicks towards a tree and this tree just like blows up in half. It's really cool. It's really reminiscent of the uh, spirit gun from Yu Yu Hakusho, if you ever watched that. You know, this whole scene, and I have this later on in my notes, but I can I think it fits well enough here, too. This whole scene very much had a uh, Naruto training for the Rasengan vibe to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it kind of does, doesn't it? Um, where, all right, you have to learn how to focus in this one place and, you know, obtain this certain amount measure of power and then you can release it. And then later on it evolves. Um, and this, this whole training thing felt a lot like the Rasengan training to me. See, the one thing it really reminded me of, uh, was it, and you'll be able to relate to this as well in Dragon Ball Z when Goku kind of figures out like he can, you know, go super Saiyan or super Saiyan three for a couple minutes to do a quick attack and then go back down. So that way he's not just like wasting all of his power in that form. It's real reminiscent of that to me. Like, okay, I need to power up for at 20% at the last second for one second. You know, was he doing that with super Saiyan three? I know he was doing that with the Kaioken against Frieza because there were, there was that time where they were talking with King Kai and Yamcha probably was like, Oh man, Goku will be fine. He just needs to use the uh, Kaioken and, uh, King Kai was like, he's been doing that often on this yeah. entire fight. So yeah, yeah, he's still boned right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he does it later in Super with Super Saiyan 3. Because that's the reason Vegeta, this is not for this podcast, but that's the reason Vegeta won't use Super Saiyan 3 is because he says it wastes too much power. Mm. But Goku's able to go in and out of Super Saiyan 3 so quick that he can like punch that's into Super right. Saiyan 3 and then be right back to Super Saiyan 2. And he I remember him doing that against Kefla. And, yeah. uh, well, not Kefla, but uh, Khalifa and, um, and Kale. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that now. That's, so it, I, it just reminded me of that a lot. Like, hey, just power up at the last second as much as you can. You'll get it done. So this this kind of brings us to the end of a chapter. And in the manga, there's a funny extra page where they're trying to... This is just goofy extra stuff, but they're trying to come up with a name for the band. And oh, so that's cool. Kaminari is like, we should call it the Spark Electric Kids. <laughs> and Tokoyami's like, Midnight Funeral March. Of course. Bakugo just says me. Um, me? Like- then Momo... <laughs> Yeah, he just says me. Yeah. Uh, and then Momo says, given that it's class A putting this together, why not a band? And oh, then that's Jiro's awesome. like, that's yeah. perfect. So yeah, they're, that's they're perfect. called a band. It's just like there is a, um, uh, isn't there, there's a band in real life that's just called the band. Um, oh, there is? I so, didn't know about that. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. they're, they're famous for, um, for a couple of songs that you would probably recognize. I'd have probably. To look up, I'd have to look up the actual names, but... Uh, Did you catch the... Uh, the after credits gentle criminal video 
I did for episode eighty two. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's funny because he's sitting there like drinking tea, and he talks about how he's going to drink a tea right before and right after a job, and he he drinks the tea based off what he's going to do, I guess. And so he's chosen the royal flush. And he says that his next video is going to cause an alarm to sound with all the world. Uh, so it's interesting. You know, at this point, we know he's going to try and sneak into UA. I don't know why he thinks it's going to be such a big deal, though. I guess because we know it's not open to the public. Uh, and if someone sneaks in, then they're, they're just going to they're going to look bad in front of everybody again. <laughs> There's always something, man. Yeah. But it transitions really well into 83, because 83 is actually named after a tea. I think it's called uh, the Golden Tips Imperial, right? Or the Imperial Golden Tips? Gold Gold Tips Imperial. And I I looked it up because I tend to do that. um, You know, I Google appropriate things. um, True. Not not Chinese wieners or whatever it was that you Googled a few (laughs) weeks ago. I think it was Um, Chinese (laughs) wee-wee. Yeah. Um, But it's it's Golden Tips is actually a real tea, and it is uh, a pretty rare tea. Um, and Imperial apparently is just, um, it's almost like a qualifier. It means it's like top shelf or the top commercial grade of, of a tea, which kind of categorizes it again as rare, but yeah, it's a real tea. So that's kind of fun where they're pulling on some of the stuff that, um, that you can actually go out and buy. If you're like, huh, what's, what's the big deal about gold tips Imperial? You can find out if you really wanted to try it. You know, when you're up in Knoxville here in a couple of months, or it's not even a couple of months, it's a couple of weeks it's now. a couple of weeks, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to go find some of this. I bet we've got a lot of uh, markets around here that probably sell something like this, so I'll have that to would be keep kind an of eye fun. out for it. Yeah. We can drink gold imperial tipped tea while we record AMP. Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> or at the very so, least, we'll take a picture of the two of us drinking this tea. <laughs> pretending to drink it? Yeah, we'll take one sip and <laughs> maybe it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. So, beginning of episode 83, the Toads and Bakugo don't have any kind of practice for their provisional exam, so all of the individual teams that are going to make up this this get-together, this band, are individually practicing. Uh, and it's weird because they're all kind of like out in the courtyard, and Mirio is hiding in a bush, and he thinks like, okay, no one's seen me just quite yet, I'm going to play a prank, and then of course Midoriya has to ruin it. He's like, oh, hey, Togeda. And uh, he's like, oh, crap. And then Eerie's there. So everybody's paying attention to her while Mirio tries to make a joke. And he like sticks his butt through a bush. And I guess he was going to moon people, but they make a weird peach joke. Like, oh, well, isn't that a peach (laughs) or something? It was so silly. I was like, what is Mirio doing? I think he was just trying to, I think his intent without like when he thought he had the element of surprise was to shout out. And this is a little bit more evident, I think, in the manga. He he was going to shout out, "Nice full moon we're having!" as he rammed his behind through this bush. <laughs> but everybody not only saw him before he pulled this move off, but they also keyed in on Aerie, and so she becomes the center of attention. So there's this really funny like background panel in the manga where Mirio is got his butt sticking through a bush, and you can see his head on the other side of it, and Aizawa's walking behind them because he's escorting them to UA. And so he's just standing behind Mirio going, knock it off, as everybody is like, hey, uh, there's there's Aerie, the ones that recognize her. You know, Ochako and Sue know who she is. Um, a couple of them are asking, the, the, some of them who don't know who Aerie is, ask Mirio if uh, Aerie is his daughter. And which that's a, so strange. Yeah, it's a thing that happens multiple times in this episode, actually, like, which is kind of strange. throughout the episode, yeah. Isn't Mirio like 17 or 18 and Aerie's like 8, so... That pegs him at like what ten to be a dad. I have in my notes after the second time that he gets accused or or questioned about whether or not 
uh, Aerie is his daughter, I was like, at least people tend to think that he's got game enough to have gotten some at some point. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess so. I was, that's I was funny. Like, <laughs> I guess it's like a weird high school way of being like, dude, mad props. You know? I guess, yeah, but it just, I You don't had know. the sex one time. But the fact yeah. that he doesn't deny it ever is so strange to yeah, me. Yeah, that is super weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because uh, he, and with the two dudes that they run into in the UA halls later on are, they're like, please say something because you're not saying something makes this really, really strange. And yeah. I'm like, they, that is meta too, because they are, they're vocalizing what I'm sitting here in my living room feeling. Exactly. I think Deadpool directed both of these episodes. Yeah, There's he a definitely had meta. a hand. Definitely. You know, the weird thing is I was just thinking about though. So Mirio is probably really used to getting kind of like the surprise on people. I mean, that was his whole strategy whenever he was fighting, at least when he was fighting the students we saw was that mm. people aren't expecting to be able to punch through him or something. So he always has a surprise on folks. The fact that he's not able to get it has to be low key, like heart crushing to him or soul crushing. Yeah, and so that would inform that kind of colors differently. I hadn't thought about that. So yeah, that, that no, colors that previous scene uh, with the bush a little bit, where yeah. you know he's it's almost like he's trying to reclaim that to the best of his abilities by trying to stage these surprises mm -hmm. um, just without the the capability that he had before. And then in the hallway scene, it's almost like he's keeping that surprise element uh, artificially by being. Like intentionally, like ambiguous. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> man, so. that's such a weird way to, to to paint that picture. But yeah, I was just thinking about that. I'm like, eh. yeah, because I, I would imagine that scene would play out very differently if he still had his quirk. Yeah, there's a couple other reactions to Aerie too. So I mean, there's the talk that um, it's not time for the festival yet. The festival is like a month away, and they have permission to bring Aerie to the festival. But Nezu was like she's kind of been by herself forever. So maybe we shouldn't just drop her into the middle of a giant crowd of people and noises. Um, I'm glad that he at least thought of that. Yeah, it's very good. I mean, he's trying to prevent her from having sensory overload. So she's at the school to kind of get out and see other people for a change. And um, Minetta walks up to her. And of course, of course it had to be Minetta. Nobody else would have said this, of course, but he walks up to her and says, I can't wait to see how you look in 10 years. Yeah, what a creepy joke. She's like, oh my gosh, he's the worst. Yeah. He is the worst. In the manga, he says, look me up in 10 years. Like, it's even <laughs> more, like, invitational. Wow, that's so, that's just so disturbing. Yeah. Well, Mirio, Mirio ends up inviting Midoriya to walk around and give Eerie, like, the, the, the scoop on UA. He's going to take her to all the different classes, it looks like. So they, they actually go and see, like, the business class and the support class and whatnot. They run into uh, Tetsu, 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 yes. and Monoma. So I was pretty happy about that. Uh, we get to see those two goofballs. And Monoma cracks me up, too, because he's sitting there and he's talking about how Class B is going to beat Class 1A with their performance of this like toss-up of Romeo and Juliet, Return of the King, and Prisoner of Azkaban, which I guess is this original play they've designed based off of all these different you know famous books and movies. So it looks ridiculous. Yeah, it's pretty. And Monoma, I I just had Tetsu 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 in all caps in my notes. Yeah, <laughs> because we're back, and we've said this before. It's fun to come back to the school and see some of these characters that we haven't seen in a while. So like all of these, they feel like cameos because we haven't seen them in so long. They totally do. Yeah, I hadn't thought and, of it like that. And so like every time somebody else that we've seen totally seen and know before comes up on the screen, I'm just all excitedly typing, oh, it's Tetsu, 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 yeah. Tetsu, and Monoma. And um, so it's just really fun. I mean, we get to see Nejiri, and Amajiki is also in all caps in mind. I'm like, Amajiki's here too. You know, of course yeah. they're there. They're at, we're at this freaking school. but Where everybody should be. <laughs> yeah, it was just super exciting. And there yeah. was a really funny, like, acute little dialogue thing that takes place because before we see that it's Tetsu, 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 and Monoma, um, 
it's like this dragon prop that kind of jumps down and, and scares Midoriya. And he checks in on Aerie and he's like, are you okay? And she says, I thought it was the person who dropped from the sky. Yeah. And she was thinking back of Ryukyu dropping in on them um, during the Chisaki fight, which is kind of a cool, she just doesn't, she doesn't have, she doesn't have an experience of things. So she's yeah, there's just no trying reference to, for her there. Yeah, yeah. She's just framing things as she knows them to be, um, which is kind of fun. So then at the end, uh, this is another funny thing too, to me at the end of the little Romeo and Juliet uh, and the, Prisoner of Azkaban, colon, the return of the king thing. Oh, uh, Monoma is getting out of hand. So I, I, I was waiting. I was like, Kendo's going to come out of nowhere know, and just knock this thing. guy out. Um, but if, it's not Kendo. It's Awase. Um, comes up, knocks him out. And he has to explain that Kendo's not around um, because she's participating in a beauty pageant. But in the manga, it's really funny because apparently Awase, I don't know if he's met some of these class 1A or class A folks because he says, Sorry, class A guy. Referring, like he, I think, he to just Minoria. knows him by reference. Like, oh yeah, that's one of those class A guys. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, maybe it, he hasn't. I mean, it might, it might not. I mean, he was definitely with who was he with Momo? He was with the, Momo uh, in the summer camp thing because mm-hmm, yeah. they, they got out together. So he might not have. Yeah. So anyway, he's he's like, sorry, class A guy. His usual handler handler isn't round, so he's got no filter. And then that that's when it gets led to the um, the beauty pageant remark, which leads us into Nashiria. And we get to go see yeah, Nashiria. She's awesome, man. She's she's gonna be sitting there like trying to participate, win her her first prize. Uh, they they say that she's participated a handful of years and never gotten first place because of another character named Babimi Kinranzaki. Uh, and she's from the support class, so we got a support class girl that is uh, going to be defending her championship. It sounds like, yeah. And they show a picture of this other competitor that apparently is is out beautifying Nishire, and it looks like a character straight out of um, a movie about like crossdressers. Like it's this movie called Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. And it it involves like Wesley Snipes, I want to say, and. <laughs> And the other two, Patrick Swayze, really? uh, John Leguizamo, and they all play a bunch of cross-dressers. Uh-huh. And, like, because this person is just way over the top, like, crazy decorations, like, foot-long eyelashes and humongous curls. And I was just like, ugh, Najiri looks way better than that. <laughs> like, this lady looks like she got hit with the some of that Joker gas from the first Batman movie from, like, 1988 or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, when they all, they end up looking, like, totally crazy afterwards. Yeah, with the big, yeah. crazy smiles. That's what <laughs> yeah. she looks like. That's funny. Well, apparently, uh, Midoriya thinks that uh, Hado looks pretty good, too, because he's, like, you know, falling all over himself, having to pick his job off the ground. She's She's wearing, like, a... It almost looks like a nightgown or something. Like it didn't look like regular clothing. So I guess, you know, she's got a lot of cleavage going on and Midoriya's all freaking out, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, and she's also like creating her own what I refer to as the Scott Stapp effect, where she's because of her power, she can make herself look like she's just constantly in a a, a breeze. Yeah. Um and Scott Stapp was the lead singer of Creed. And so, right. you know, in that in that in the arms wide open video at least, he's just got this like button down shirt that's undone and he's got his arms wide and there's just a breeze blowing his shirt behind him. He was just standing so, in front of a fan at Lowe's with like yeah, a green screen yeah. in the background. And I've always just called that the Scott Stapp effect for whatever reason. So that's I have funny. that in here that she just creates her own Scott Stapp effect. And uh Midori is like, 
that's crazy. How are you getting second place with your flashy quirk and your ba-ba-ba-ba? And then <laughs> I think Amajiki finishes it off for him. This is body proportions. But yeah. uh, in the in the manga, it's just those proportions. But it is really funny. And poor Amajiki is uh-huh. over there like, man, I would, you know, I'd, I can't imagine participating in the beauty pageant. All those people staring at me and then his stomach starts hurting. All right. If, if Amajiki was uh, gender swapped, what... What kind of food should he eat before going and participating in a beauty contest go? Oh, I, don't, I have no idea. Me neither. I was just putting you on the spot. Man, that's not cool. <laughs> I'll, put it, I'll put it out on the Twitter because I don't have any yeah, answers Yeah, I don't have any now, idea either. But I want to think about it because obviously, like, he should be, like, if, if Amajiki was a girl, what, this is the question, I'll put this out on the Twitter when this episode goes live. Um, if he was a girl and was participating in a beauty contest, what food should he eat in order to increase the odds that he would win? That's See, what I want I would, to know. I, I don't know what food it would be, but I would assume it would have to be some animal with pheromones to make everybody <laughs> lust after him. So that way he wouldn't have to look any certain way. He would just win off of like science, like biology, you know? I like it. I like yeah, it. I'll be I curious I, to see what anybody on, uh, on Twitter comes up with too. Yeah, that'll be fun. I like that. Um, so anyway, we get... Uh, we move away from Amajiki and Najire in the whole um, beauty competition room, I guess, is where they were. Um, and we go to support class stuff, and we get to see uh, Mei Hatsume again. Yeah, I like seeing her again. She's got a really cool like robot exoskeleton thing she's working on, and she's explaining to Iri and Midoriya and uh, Mirio that... This is like their time to shine. You know, she she says that the sports festival was class one A's time to shine. And, you know, they were kind of it was like, what, how did she put it? That was like second priority to the support class. It wasn't second priority. She 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 used a really good term for it. She was just basically saying that that this this is more properly a a real stage that highlights support characters where support characters were kind of like. The secondary attraction secondary at attraction, the sports yeah. festival. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's that's a really good way of putting it. Uh, so I'm, you know, excited to see what the support class has got showing off because I mean, she had a pretty cool looking little exoskeleton thing there. Yeah, there's this kind of th- weird exchange between Midoriya and her. Like Midoriya always gets weird around her. They have um, a weird probably relationship because she just straight up threw his boobs on him the last. Uh, you know, when we when she first came to UA after their. The festival stuff. Yeah. Well, she's always like totally willing to fill them down, you know, like without asking. Yeah, that's true. She's very handsy. Let me get your measurements. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, maybe that's why he's just always on edge when he's around her. But he he's like, "Uh, you're looking a little dirty. And she just says, "Uh, well, you know, bathing just seems like a waste of time. I just put in my notes as like, and just like that, she slips on my list because that is gross. <laughs> that is gross. It would have been like better though is, if she, she is dedicated. Like, if she hadn't like shaved in a while, you know, because she's always wearing uh, <laughs> yeah. like a tank top. If she had had a little armpit hair, that would have been awesome. Oh gosh, uh, I would have uh, loved that. That's so funny. Stop it. Hatsume's great. I like Hatsume. She is. She is. She's she's pretty high up on my list of like students that I really like. Like anytime that they're on screen or on panel, I I I'm like, oh, excited. You know, yeah. this is May or. Same thing with Jiro. I get really excited when Jiro's. It's not like they don't have anything that's crazy flashy about them. I just like their characterizations a bunch. They have big energy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they're very different. They're at, actually, they're almost at opposite ends they of the really spectrum. They really are. Yeah, those two really are. 
Uh, but we transition into to lunchtime, which is you know everyone's favorite time. Have you seen the the quirk that their lunch chef has got? Like you're going to be eating the best food ever. Yeah. And so they're taking Eerie to experience that, and it's interesting because Midoriya asks her like, you know, how what do you think so far about everything? And at first he kind of stumbles over himself because he's like, well, are you used to us yet? I mean, <laughs> you know, have you gotten used to us yet or or, or something? And, and she just says, well, I'm not really sure. And and at first, him and uh, Mirio both are like, oh, crap. And then she's, she completes her sentence and it says, you know, well, I'm just not sure how everything's going to come together for the festival. And Nezu is eating dinner with Midnight to the left of them. And Nezu's like, well, that's what we call excitement. And Nezu, I'm telling you, man, he's got something up his sleeve. He's, he's got... <laughs> that's he's, not what I thought you would get into in this scene. I didn't think you would get into his motivations How somehow. I don't, still don't know how you even got there. <laughs> It's just because it's Nessu. But did you notice what he was eating? Cheese, which is so cheese. strange. He was just eating a big old wedge of cheese. Do you think he got it from Aoyama? Oh, I just think that it's... I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. I just I just think it's funny that uh, Horikoshi is constantly like, is he a mouse? Is he not a mouse? Here right. he is just eating cheese. You know? Right. <laughs> so well, and he's eating funny. with Midnight, who has arguably the most inappropriate outfit attire for school I've ever seen. It's uh, Hey, it's it's approved by whatever that you know, censored costume board is. So if it's yes. approved by them, it must be good enough for UA where, you know, <laughs> heroes got to dress up in their costumes at all times, I guess. But. I suppose so. Well, Nezu finishes his cheese and walks off and, uh, you know, Midnight's telling them that they really need to do like the best they can basically because the police, like the police have come to Nezu saying, Hey, don't put on this festival. And we get this quick aside where Nezu's talking to the chief of police and the chief of police is like, come on, like, don't do this. Don't. He, he actually says, "Don't put honey out for the villains," which mm-hmm. I'm right there with him. I'm like, dude, you're you're kind of setting these folks up. Like you've seen this happen time and time again, and so far it's not gone well. So what makes you think this time's gonna go well? Like third time's a charm. But I don't know. I'm I'm with the chief of police on this. Like I feel like Nezu is like, hey, let me set up this event so the villains can get in again. Well, and there's some dramatic irony at work here because we do know that there is a quote-unquote villain that is going to take advantage of the festival for sure. his own, um, you know, his own fame and notoriety. Um, but I do, I do actually like, not that I 100% agree with it, but I like the way that it's worded, Nezu's response, because he's basically like, don't, don't make the future any darker than it has to be. Like, let us have this, this spot, this, this piece of fun and light these kids have been through a lot. Let them, you know, have this excuse to just have fun and be kids. And so I, I like that. It sounds good, but I disagree with it. Um, yeah. And well, I think Midnight thinks that too. Midnight is very wary about this. And, but she explains that, you know, they're amping up security. And even if there's a false alarm, then they told the police that they would uh, perform a mandatory, uh, mandatory evacuation and cancel everything. And then she's even adds in, she's like, we're even taking Hound Dog off of his leash and letting him patrol around the perimeter (laughs) of the school, which makes Hound Dog so much more interesting to me. And like, I want to know what his everyday is like, because they make it sound like they keep him caged up or on like a runner somewhere. Like in the school? Yeah. Like he's on a line somewhere in the basement? (laughs) When he was at the, um, you remember when he gave that... uh, That quote unquote speech? speech? Yeah. He was definitely muzzled, but when they show him walk in the perimeter, he's still muzzled. Well, yeah, um, but I guess he's not on his leash somewhere, so they're just like... I imagine that he's like a Punisher character in this world. Like, it's not that... 
it's it's not that they've literally got him on a leash, but they have like a Captain America equivalent keeping him in check, you know. And then this time they were just like, "Nah, yeah. do your thing, man. Like you set up traps, whatever it takes." <laughs> yeah, it's just funny that they're like, "We we let him loose." Yeah, like, that's just that the, feels foreboding, but it also is just like, "Well, what is a normal day like for this guy then?" Well, and you know, uh, gentle criminal brings him up later because he mentions like, "Oh, I bet mm-hmm. Hound Dog's been let loose." You know, he's probably sniffing the the. Uh, uh, oh, what's the word I'm going to use? Perimeter. The perimeter, thank you. I was going to say the peripheral. I knew that wasn't right, though, so I figured I'd wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I thought that was funny that even Gentle Criminal is aware of Hound Dog. Like, he is a known thing in this world. It's true. In, th- in these two episodes, I got to say, this has been my favorite thing that's happened, and I thought it was really well done. Eerie is talking to Deku at lunch, and she says, like, well, what are you doing, Deku? And he goes, oh, I'm on the dance team. And then it goes one week later, you know, and they zoom in on the school, and it's Jiro, and Midori, like, opens the door into this, like, office setting with Jiro standing there, and she goes, all right, well, you're fired from the dance team. And then it just cuts to commercial break. It was, <laughs> it was so Mina perfect. that fired him. Was it Mina? Think, okay, yeah, yeah it's it Mina. Mina. It's not Jiro. Uh, but that just cracked me up. I thought that was so... His face was just like absolutely distraught. And uh, you find out whenever we come back into the episode, the whole reason that he's distraught is because he feels like he's lying to Eerie. And that's it. And I thought that was kind of sweet. Yeah, I just have in my notes, I was like, dude, that's not how lying works. Like, you told her at the time you were telling the truth. And just because circumstances change doesn't mean that back then you lied. <laughs> like, yeah. But he's he's trying to be very genuine and, and innocent. But I was just like... That's not how lies work, yo. Maybe, like, maybe not to terrible. us, but I could see that that being how lies work to Eerie. You know, like she may not understand. She's only ever been lied to, so that's true. He's he's trying to be very sensitive with her, I guess. He is, and he finds out that the effects team needs him. I think I mentioned earlier they need him basically to hold Ayoyama like suspended from a rope, so so that a strength based or a power based character could kind of move him around the room because they were worried that Ayoyama just being a disco ball would be great for all of like three seconds until the novelty wore off. So they're like, but if we have a move around the room, then it'll be dope the whole time. Yeah, uh, so they is... recruited Midoriya. <laughs> I like that logic a lot. It's pre- I mean, I, like I said, I, I like that they're just kind of having fun and trying to figure out what's the best combination of, of, you know, the, the resources that we have. Uh, and how can we apply them to make this as cool as possible? I think that's a really, it's just, it's just been fun. And it's been, you know, very different from what we've had, uh, you know, the intensity, especially that we've had recently. We're getting back to a place where we're getting a lot more of just kids being kids stuff instead of feeling like they're already heroes shoved into this adult world. Um, it's just neat to get the high school stuff again, from, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it totally is. And it's it's nice to see them thinking about their quirks outside of the box because all we've ever seen them apply them towards is fighting, basically. And so it's neat to get to see them use them in any kind of like uh, utilization way. Like, imagine having Todoroki's quirk. You could heat up your cold tea anytime you needed to, or you could cool it down. Like, you, you have so many ways that you can use his quirk in just everyday setting, and we don't get to see that a lot. So I'm excited to see how what they come up with. Todoroki can go anywhere and will always have cold soba. <laughs> Which Even I if somebody get. goofs like up and gross. gets in some hot soba, he's like, no, 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 don't send it back. I'll handle it. I'll handle and it myself. makes cold soba. Great. Yeah. But cold so- soba soup, like soba soup is normally warm and tasty. I don't know. I feel like cold would be gross. I mean, I think that both are legitimate styles of that particular food type. Um, sure. But that you have people that fall out on either, either camp. Um, That's fair. Just like you do with pretty much everything. I mean. Everything is a reason to to draw lines, and especially in the West, which yeah. I, I understand that they're not in the West, but that's how we perceive everything is. Okay, 
what, 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 uh, which side of this are you on, man? You know, um, right, so right. You get a little bit of that in the Yarashi and Todoroki relationship. Well, we end up ending this episode very similar to how we ended the last episode with Deku and All Might training, actually. Uh, and, you know, Deku's asking for tips from All Might, but it's funny because All Might's like, well, I don't really have any tips. Like, I, I never had to get good. I just was good from the yeah. get go, you know? <laughs> I, I had, have you ever seen the, um, uh, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog? No, I haven't. Oh, man, you need to fix that. It's so good. I think it might be on Netflix. Um, anyway, you need to watch it. Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. It was done. It's this musical thing that Joss Whedon did back then. It's been years now, like 20... It's early. Um, and anyway, the whole concept is there's this bad guy wannabe. Um, Neil Patrick Harris plays this guy named Dr. Horrible who's trying to like make it big in the bad guy scene and join this like super awesome cohort of bad guys. Um, and his nemesis is this guy named Captain Hammer, who's played by Nathan Fillion. And uh, Dr. Horrible's, you know, he has his villainous alter ego, Dr. Horrible, but then he also just plays this, I don't remember his his just like, you know, uh, Clark Kent name or whatever, but he's he's <laughs> he goes to this laundromat and he falls in love with this girl named Penny, who's played by Felicia Day. All these stars, right? It's great. Um, yeah. And then, so there's this scene where Penny apparently... There's, I don't want to spoil things, but she ends up possibly moving towards relationship with Captain Hammer, which upsets Dr. Horrible because he's like, I want this girl. And now Doc, Captain Hammer's coming in on my territory. So there's this really funny scene in one of the laundromat scenes where he's going to leave to try to avoid Captain Hammer. And uh, he's just like, uh, Captain Hammer's playing playing along. He's like, do I know you from the gym or someplace like that? And Neil Patrick Harris, Harris's character's like, yeah, that's right. You've seen me at the gym trying to diffuse the fact that he's Dr. Horrible, clearly. <laughs> and Nathan Fillion's Captain Hammer just goes, wait a minute. I don't go to the gym. I'm just naturally like this. <laughs> and that's what <laughs> that's what it felt like to me when All Might was just like, I don't know, man. I've always just been able to be at 100% all the time. <laughs> that's awesome. It was really funny. It, it yeah. immediately made my, my mind race to Nathan Fillion going, wait a minute. I don't go to the gym. I'm just naturally like this. That's super so funny. funny. Yeah. That's you a, need to watch that. I'm going to have to. All those, those are some big names. I like all those people. So Yeah. It's, it's great. When, yeah. like, I had this um, deal, a relationship with some of my former students who have come up through my ministry where once or twice a year, they pick a movie to make me watch that I haven't seen. And then I pick a movie that they haven't seen, then I make them watch. We trade back and forth. And um, the first one that they made me watch was The Greatest Showman, a musical, because yeah. I, I I absolutely abhor all things musical. I think that it is the most ridiculous form of media ever, and I have very strong feelings about it. <laughs> Apparently um, so. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started. But when they sat me down, we were waiting on one of the other students to show up, and we had like you know half an hour before she got there, and I was like, let me show you what a real musical is. And I played them Dr. Horrible, and Three of the four that watched it were like, this is actually legitimately good, a musical. And the other one just couldn't get over the fact that it was superhero nerdy stuff. But that's funny. Anyway, tangent, tangent over. We're back with Midoriya and All Might. Well, so they're training and out of nowhere, one of Hatsube's uh, flying bots like almost runs into Midoriya. But All Might catches it like in a pretty cool, awesome way, like almost like Jedi training way. He just knew it was going to be there. So he catches it. And Hatsume comes out of the woods and is like, oh, yeah, sorry, my spy bot was just spying on you by accident. Yeah, we, you and I had talked about this off air, but this scene brought to mind two of the theories that we talked about in our last In the Filler episode, one of which being that everybody has a quirk, including All Might. 
Um, because not only is, I think that that possibly hinted at with the fact that All Might was just like, I don't know, I've always been able to do 100%. Um, but he also goes Buff Might, um, the Buff Pidgeotto version of All Might here briefly um, in a second. And I was like, man, that has to, be, maybe that has something to do with this quirk that we're unaware of. Um, and then the second one is this theory that May was the traitor. And I think in the episode that we recorded last week, I was just like, nah, I don't like that. Yeah, May's I, great. I didn't see you it know? either. Yeah, I was like, who, why would you even think that, you know? But that primed me to watch for all, all these traitors, right? And in this scene with May showing up on the scene, chasing what she refers to as one of her babies, of course, um, but it is literally a device that could only ever do anything but it, all it's designed to do is spy or to observe. Um, and she just rolls up on the scene and she goes out of her way to try to ignore as much of what she's seeing as possible. Like she's almost like she's overcompensating. And Midori even picks up on it because he's like, wow, she is, she has zero interest in what's going on here. She's just like fast talking her way out of the scene, basically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh snap, what if May really is the traitor? <laughs> like, yeah. and I was like, oh my gosh, I might be able to see it after this scene. Yeah, it was very ominous, man. I thought, and it's really convenient that she's out there testing her ro- one of her robots as well. I mean, it's a big area, but let's go with this conspiracy theory, right? Like, right. it was pretty convenient. Well, she also mentions too that um, she's working on a new sort of device for Midoriya, um, and th- th- you get a quick cut to like a glove-looking thing, um, some sort of glove that she's working on for for him. Presumably, I guess he's gone to her after trying this little flick maneuver and is wanting her to mock something up. Yeah, but isn't the um, glove and thing all might just like totally stolen from the first movie? Um, it's a different kind of glove thing. So, listeners, I've seen the new. Um, my hero movie. And so I'm trying really hard not to talk much about it because Adam hasn't, but you, uh, so there, it's different. It's different. Okay. Although there okay. was a glove in the first movie. Okay. Um, I just, I feel different, like the different thing, the first movie is Canon. There's already been a glove. Like I don't want a second glove. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll um, move on since this sounds movie related. Yeah, it is. I, I'm, I'll be interested to talk to you about that movie because I have strong feelings about it too. Um, and if you follow my my Earth Nerd Atkins account on Twitter, you saw me kind of hint at my my thoughts about the movie in general last week or, or a few days ago. Anyway, we get back to um, All Might mentioned, makes this mention that he used support items, uh, but they didn't really work all that well for him because he would just bust them up. Um, so he didn't rely on them too much. And this kind of gets into Midoriya's brain and he's like freaking out. He's like, I didn't know All Might ever used a support item. So later on, there's this scene where he's just like trying really hard to find evidence of All Might using a support item online. Um, so he does what we would do. He just starts Googling. Yeah. Um, and he's like scrolling around online. And while while he's doing that, there's this funny scene too where um, they call Momo bougie. Um, I think it was either Ochako maybe or Hagakure Mina, one of the girls. Um, it gets offered some of this tea. And they're like, I don't really get tea. That's so bougie. And that was really funny to me. Yeah. Um, I also like that Deku is, uh, he, I don't remember exactly how he says it, but he's talking about trying to find rare might. Uh, and we've rare had, might. yeah, rare might. I guess he like, you know, is r- the rare footage of all might using that support uh, item. Yeah, I didn't. S- oh, yeah. It says it right here in the manga. Imagine that me not knowing about that rare might <laughs> inexcusable. That's funny. I don't know how I just overlooked that. I just thought that was funny because I feel like we've had small might and then rare might. And there, there was one uh, where he put on the face for Night Eye. He called it something too. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. I remember the face very clearly. Yeah. I just I think it's funny that he has these like 
versions of All Might. That face has become a meme, too. Yeah. Much of this show has. But a lot of this show has. It's a really yeah. popular show. It is. It's yeah. very hot right now. Um, this is when it, he accidentally clicks on like a gentle criminal video, and he even says, like, right. oh, man, I clicked on it. Like, And I don't know if he was upset that he clicked on it because it's not All Might related, or if he knows who Gentle Criminal is and just didn't want to give the guy the views, you know? I don't think he... I think he was kind of aware of him, because he says in the manga, I only heard how to, heard about him by chance. He's sort of famous. Right. Um, but, like, the video only has dislikes. And there's a really funny scene in one of the earlier episodes, or, or maybe in last episode, where Gentle Criminal is guilty of reading the comments on his own videos. Yeah. And I was just like, dude, <laughs> rookie mistake. You never do that. Never do Never that. read the comments, man. Yeah. Anywhere on the internet. It's a bad idea. Um. But he does wonder aloud what he's planning next because in that video that he chose, Gentle was referring to doing this thing that's going to serve as a wake-up call, not just for the viewers, but for all of society. It was the video uh, we got trans- at the end of episode 82, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, or or maybe a continuation of it. Something um, like that, yeah. So we that brings us back to La Brava and uh, gentle as they're kind of talking a little bit about, um, this assault that they're planning. Um, apparently gentle's been pretty well wrapped up in, uh, planning for this thing. Cause he hasn't taken tea in a while and this upsets La Brava. And so she runs and makes him some tea and he's about to run her through, um, how this plan is going to work. And so they, they sit down to go over how this, um, how this route to UA is going to work. And this is where he says, my incursion will only serve to strength, strengthen the fledglings. Um, you know, cause she was like, why would you drag, you know, these, you know, these innocent little kids with bright futures into it. And this is where I alluded to earlier, him saying, I'm doing this for them. Like it's going to be beneficial to them. Yeah. I guess maybe he's trying to teach them that life is never going to give them the break that their teachers think they're going to get. Yeah. Or, you know, put up all the walls you want. There's still, there's still villainy. There's still brokenness. Um, there's a lot of different ways I think to read kind of his motivation. Yeah. Um, so he talks about stopping at this little cafe on the way to have a 90 minute tea time. I think somewhere in the manga, it straight up says that he's from England too, that he's an Englishman, which makes a lot of sense out of the tea. Yeah. This is also when he mentions that he's going to be drinking the same tea that Momo was drinking uh, with the rest Mm -hmm. of the students. So it makes me wonder if that little tea shop is like one of Momo's relatives or something. It could be. Um, I mean, it's a rare tea. Do we know Uh, how she has money? Who, Momo? Yeah, because she's really rich. It's surely it's not like a tea company or something, is it? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember why she's rich. Yeah, her parents are filthy, crazy rich for some reason. Yeah, I don't remember why. It would just be interesting um, if it had something to do with tea and that all ties in or something. I'm not sure. I'm, I may go back and, and see if I can find an answer for that off air. But um, he says he's going to stop there for 90 minutes and then move up the hill, which is this place is like right at the foot. The tea time place is right at the foot of this hill that UA rests upon. Um, and then when he gets inside of the perimeter to throw off Hound Dog, he's going to rub himself down with dirt and leaves to try to hide his scent. Yeah. Um, and then apparently La, uh, La Brava has got some sort of hacking quirk or skill. It's hard to tell. She holds up a key, but in the manga, it goes out of the way to say, this is just a house key. So, I mean, I thought maybe it was something quirky in the anime, but in the manga, it seems to, to, um, indicate maybe that it's that's not the case or something. Yeah. Cause I got um, the feeling her quirk was tech related, but then at the end of the episode, she says she's a professional hacker. So I was like, well, maybe, yeah. maybe she does have a tech related quirk, but it, maybe it helps her in hacking somehow. Cause she's going to hack the sensors that 
set off the uh, the barrier. I think they just call it the UA barrier, which is this massive like gate close and, and all of the openings and whatnot. We we saw this whenever uh, the the media was trying to get in after the USJ attack. They they shut right. up this barrier, right? And then then things get kind of weird. I th- I think they get weird. I think they get weird too because we okay, don't good. really know. So let me just set the scene. They explained that before LaBravo was around, I guess this guy, he was uploading YouTube content. I'm going to keep calling it YouTube because we don't know what the platform is. Uh, so they're, they're uploading content and no one's watching it or the people that do watch it think it's horrible. And then she shows up at his door and is his number one fan. So he like invites her in and now she's posting all of his stuff for him because she loves him. And he loves her back. And we have no idea how old LeBrava is. And I think it's creepy. I think, yeah, I mean, there's this weird... I don't know how they define love here. Yeah, it's It doesn't have to be romantic or sexual or anything, but it is definitely weird that this is an older man who apparently lives by himself, who had a child for all... Like, as best I can tell, had a child show up to his house and was just... Who expressed that she was her his biggest fan... And now they're inseparable, and there's weird. Uh, you know, he says, "You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull off this caper for the world, for the people, for my dreams, and to honor your feelings for me." And then she just tackles him basically to the ground, and she's like lying on top of him, and she calls him my one and only gentle criminal. And I was just like, "Man, it's kind of, it's, it's a little awkward." It's I'm not reading. Creepy. I'm trying really hard not to read into anything because I don't think there's anything there, but it's staged weird. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. It was one of those things where I was like, I don't want to feel like this is creepy, but it is. Like, it just kind of comes off as weird, and I think it's just because we don't have all the details. Yeah. So, because for all so, we know, her being young looking could just mean that it's part of her quirk or something. I, I don't know. I mean, there could be yeah. any way to explain this, but I think it's. I'm with you. I'm kind of leery on what's happening here. Yeah, and it could be you know a completely um, you know platonic kind of friendship i think that's yeah platonic and you know where there's no sexual energy in it whatsoever it's just two people that genuinely appreciate one another regardless of age and gender which is totally a thing um but the way that it's framed here and with what little we know about them it comes off as strange to me right off the bat but you know things could change it almost um, as as context fills itself out yeah it, it, it almost comes off as like a less abusive joker harley quinn kind of relationship though hmm at least that's the way I read into it. Well, we get um, this credit rolls basically after the weird lying on top of one another hug thing on the floor. Um, and uh, we get a little bit of a post credit scene where it turns out, you know, Gentle and LaBrava are going about the, the route as planned uh, and they bump into Deku. Um, and there seems to be a little bit of a standoff or a confrontation that takes place right then. And the next episode title is Deku versus Gentle Criminal. So yeah. be curious to see how that little bumping into one another in the street in front of this tea shop, how it evolves and how it plays out. So that's, that's what we be, have to look forward to. It's going to be really interesting. Do we know what uh, Gentle's, like, what his quirk is yet? Because it looked like he had some sort of weird jumping quirk. I think he can make things springy. Is that what it was? <laughs> I mean, Because that's I what don't it looked know, like. It looked like he turned the ground into like a trampoline for him and LaBrava at one point in time. Yeah, it does. It I think he can make things where they're bouncy or m- malleable or springy or something. That's because strange. the the only other time we've seen his quirk at work, he jumped from the street to a building top with LaBrava once in one of these two episodes, and then previously he just made that 
J convenience store wobbly like it was jello mold. Um, so I'm curious. I have no idea and I'm not I haven't read ahead on the wiki or anything like that. So we'll see how that how that plays out. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Let's see who we got casted this week. We had a fun little uh, Twitter thing go up uh, and thank you for posting that. And we had a couple people suggest doing uh, Midoriya's mother and Ida. So I think those are the two we're doing tonight, right? We are. Um, who you want to do first and who would you like to go first? Uh, that's a good question. Let's talk about uh, Midoriya's mother. Let's talk about, what is it, Inko Midoriya? Mm-hmm. So I cast, and maybe this one's a little, I don't want to say cliche, but maybe it's too too recent. Uh, I cast Marissa Tamai, is how I think you say her name. She's the oh, Aunt May okay. from the most recent Spider-Man series. I can see that. Yeah, I watched that the other day, uh, and I was thinking, like, hmm, all right, I can see that. I can see her being a good Mother Midoriya. Yeah. I went, is she your only casting for yeah, Inko? Yeah, I just did one for each this time. Nothing too crazy. Okay. I was thinking back on Mothers in Cinema that I really liked, um, and I went a non, like, silver screen route. I actually went with a TV show. Oh, okay. Um, and I picked Mary Louise Parker, who Ooh. is the mom in Weeds. Yeah. Mm, um, because good. I've seen her be very intense and angry and unmoving, uh, kind of like Inka was in the scene with when All Might visited the apartment. Yeah. But I've also seen her be very heartbroken and distraught and stressed and uh, hysteric. Um, and I, I think she could do both of those. And I think that she'd probably, she might be a little older than Inko, I, I would assume is, but she's close-ish, close enough, a little bit of makeup, and I can make it work. Yeah, so, no, Mary I like Louise Parker. One. I like that one a lot. That's a, She's a great actress. Who'd you pick for Ida? So I had to think pretty hard about Ida, um, in part because the two people that immediately jumped to mind when I looked up how old they were, I was like, nah, dog, too old. Okay. Um, because I'm, I'm trying to stick real hard, too, for casting it tomorrow still. Um, and I like that you don't play by that rule, because it opens up casting on your end, too. Sure. Um, so initially I was like, Johnny, John Cho would be great. Um, I think he could make a fun Ida, but he's like in his fifties. I was shocked. Yeah. Um, I would not have guessed that. And then I thought of Ben Schwartz who plays John Ralphio on Parks and Rec. Mm, okay. I think he could be, I've never seen him be really, really serious, but I think that you could kind of get him. Ida's seriousness is often very goofy. So I was trying to find a, a, um, somebody who could do both of those possibly at the same time. And who I ended up going with this uh, with is this guy named Ludi Lin. Hmm. And he was in the most recent Power Rangers movie. He played the Black Ranger. He's oh, playing yeah. Liu Kang yeah, he's in the awesome. new Mortal Kombat movie. Yeah, I really liked him in the Power Rangers movie. Yeah, and I think he's 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 probably older, but I think that he can play a teen if he you know, if he want, if he darn well wants to, I think they're supposed to be teenagers in that Power Ranger movie, and it only came out two or three years ago. Yeah, they're like high schoolers, or either they're, I think they're senior high schoolers. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so that's Louis a good Lin. pick. I like that one. That's who I went with. What about you? Uh, so mine, uh, it kind of works in two ways. I think he could definitely play the role just because I think he has that energy that you're talking about. But he's already played a speedster, uh, so I went with Ezra Miller. Oh, the Flash? Yeah. Uh, I really liked okay. I liked that character. I, I like him a lot. I think he's a good actor. Uh, so I could see him playing Ida. And I think he's kind of got that jaw structure, too. Like, Ida has a really defined jaw. And I feel like Ezra Miller, is, he's got that also. So Yeah, I like that. You know, I haven't really watched all that much DC stuff. Um, so, But looking at pictures of him now, like, I would, I didn't, his name didn't even come across my mind. Um, but looking at him, I could see... I could see him doing this too. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I like that. I like both of ours. Those are some really good ones. 
there was, man, I'm trying to think there was somebody else that I was like, I wonder if this person would play it, but it would have been another like, like crazy oddball casting. Yeah. Um, and now I don't remember who it was. So if I think of it, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up in discord and let you know what it was. I'm glad that you chose someone from a TV show. For some reason, I, I don't really feel like I've thought of TV show actors just quite yet, you know? Yeah. So oh, Mary Louise. Yeah, she's yeah, awesome. She's she's great. I really like I really like that show in general. I think Weeds is really yeah, funny. Yeah, Weeds was funny. I like that show. Cool, man. Well, All I right, think sir. that wraps us up. For, oh, who are we going to cast next week? Let's go ahead and get that out there on the air. Okay. Yeah, we had talked. I was kind of frustrated because I have a list that I like a note on my MacBook that, you know, is on the cloud through all my devices that I kind of type out ideas for some of these characters as we go. And um, the person, the only person that I ever put down for Midoriya has suddenly the internet has, has, I don't know how they accessed my note, but they found my note. They've read it. I'm being spied on you Um, because the internet blew up with my casting this past week or so. And it frustrated me that I was like, why didn't we cast Midoriya right after we cast All Might? Because we could have been ahead of this curve but i think that's who we're going to try to cast next is deku okay cool i have not thought about deku at all so i'm looking forward to this one yeah i uh i mean my, my work's done i don't have to do any kind of research or thinking um i've i've got my deku unlocked i'm just i'm just salty about the fact that i saw more than one <laughs> website be like this person would be a great live action midoriya and i was just like dang it now i can't that's I, what i can't even look that up because then i'll know who you're going to cast uh, no, don't do that. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll find out next week. Well, I guess it'll be two weeks because uh, we're going to wait for some episodes to come out. It's true. It's true. It'll be a couple weeks um, unless we get antsy and, and uh, we've still got a couple of uh, filler episode ideas rolling around in the tank, but it just depends on availability. That's, that's We've been honest about that. Um, we're, we love to sit down to it last week. It's super fun. Yeah, it was. Um, but sometimes we just can't. So uh, we're... We're, we're doing the best we can, and we're glad that you're still listening. There was a lot of really positive feedback for last week's episode, the filler episode, so we really enjoyed that and are going to continue um, with that format whenever we can make it happen. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next filler episode. I think it'll be a good one. All right, sirs. Have a good one. That's all I got. See ya. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at Almighty Pod or follow at Back Patio Net for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Network. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O.